0: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, thank you for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, taxi, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. I am Richard Serrett. Greetings to all of you catching the show on one of our affiliate stations, uh, the podcast, of course, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, TalkZone.com. Uh, Those listening in on your smartphones and tablets using the Conspiracy Show app from uh, Google Play and the Apple Store. Wherever and however you're listening, I bid the welcome. Uh, Medical researcher, documentary filmmaker, Ty Bollinger is standing by to talk about cancer, uh, alternative cancer treatments. Uh, And we'll get to that in just moments. I've just returned from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was on location for a, a series that airs on the Travel Channel, and it's called National Park Mysteries. It's in its second season. Um, I did an episode back in February on Death Valley National Park, and this time around I was in Chaco Canyon. And this is in the high desert. This is about 6,000 feet above sea level. It's uh, located on the Navajo Reservation. Absolutely beautiful. Breathtaking, really, the desert. Red sandstone mesas. And this is where the Pueblo people were, um, which includes about 19 different Native American nations, the Pueblos. It includes the Navajo and the Hopi and others. And they built these starting in around the 9th century, I guess, 850 A.D. or so. The Pueblos, or the Anasazi, as they're called, the ancient ones, they built these amazing stone structures, great houses, and a lot of similarities between the Pueblos or the Anasazi and the the Incas and the Mayans. Amazing edifices they built. And, uh, th- they were four or five stories high, which by today's standards is not a lot, but back then, you know, a structure four or five stories high, and some of these great houses were like apartment complexes, 700 rooms. They had water, uh, uh catch, um, basins and uh, water collection systems, and, and, uh, uh, they were built, these, these edifices, to align with celestial bodies, and they were amazing sky watchers uh they could you know they could they were able to track with great accuracy the the progression of the of the constellations and the the the, uh, the equinox and the the winter and, uh, and summer solstices uh an amazing civilization and the Chaco Canyon it's actually called the Chaco Canyon National Monument uh because it also contains in in uh, besides these ruins all of these amazing petroglyphs and petrographs or rock art that are painted onto the rock or carved into the stone uh, and one in particular uh quite fascinating and it it seems to uh, depict what appears to be a star man so one is left to wonder what were the pueblo or the anasazi saying were they saying that they were in communication with a race of extraterrestrials uh Anyway, it was uh, was fascinating to be there. I've never been to Albuquerque. And my driver picked me up in Old Town, Albuquerque, and drove me out to uh, the location on the Navajo Reservation. And I discovered, when we pulled in, we were filming uh, in the exact location where the opening sequence to Breaking Bad uh, was filmed. Now, I'm probably only one of a handful of people on the planet who hasn't seen that show, but I know many of you are probably fans. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And our location manager, Tom, who is a, a really terrific guy from the Navajo, uh, nation, was wearing this Better Call Saul hat. And, uh, because he's also the location manager for that show, uh, as well as he was for Breaking Bad, and he's trying to convince, uh, the, the production for Better Call Saul to come to New Mexico and film there as well. Uh, because those programs, they bring in a lot of money into the Navajo reservation, tourists, etc. Anyway, great time in New Mexico. Heard some amazing stories down there about shapeshifters and strange disappearances along a stretch of highway uh, just outside Albuquerque in the south part of the town. I was warned not to to wander there off on my own. Uh, I believe it's called the Hondo Valley. Uh Anyway, that's for another time and another show. All right, uh right, let's discuss this scourge called cancer, shall we? Uh, when did Nixon declare the war on cancer? Like 45 years ago and... uh I don't know. It doesn't like. It doesn't look like we're winning. There's something we're missing. We're not doing something right. We've been using basically the three same arrows in the quiver for about 70, 80 plus years: chemo, radiation, surgery. And uh, are we making any headway? In some areas, perhaps. In others, not so much. You know, they say if you live long enough now, you will die of cancer at some point. Uh, so. We may be, you know, we have to rethink things a little bit. And I, I'll take this opportunity to to issue sort of our, our medical disclaimer, and that is, listen, we're not here to offer false hope. Uh, you, Whatever you hear, please, you know, do your own research, talk to your physician. That being said, let's welcome Ty Bollinger to the program. He's a CPA, a health freedom advocate, medical researcher, documentary film producer, talk radio host, Best-selling author of Cancer, Step Outside the Box, A Guide to Understanding Herbal Medicines and Surviving the Coming Pharmaceutical Monopoly, and co-author of Unlock the Power to Heal. He's appeared numerous times on Fox News, co-hosts a weekly radio show with Robert Scott Bell called Outside the Box, After losing several members to cancer, including his mother and father, Ty Bollinger refused to accept that chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery were the most effective treatments available for cancer patients and began a quest to learn all he could about alternative cancer treatments and the medical industry. He traveled the globe interviewing renowned doctors, scientists, and cancer survivors, and presented his findings in the documentary mini-series The Quest for the Cures, which came out about two years ago, and The Truth About Cancer, a global quest, last year, both viewed by over 5 million people worldwide. And we should point out that Ty will also be appearing at the Total Health Show, North America's premier natural health show, and that's uh, right here in Toronto, and uh, that is taking place on April 8th, 9th, and 10th at the Metro Toronto Convention Center, and we'll uh, give you more details as the hour progresses. Let's welcome Ty Bollinger to The Conspiracy Show. Ty, how are you?
1: Richard, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Uh,
0: a real pleasure. Uh, obviously, you know, as you, uh, we've pointed out, this is something that hits home uh, to you, losing both parents uh, to cancer. There's nobody... Uh, in this listening audience, who has been untouched by cancer, I mentioned the war on cancer declared by, I think it was Nixon, over 40 years ago. Um, we're losing, aren't we?
1: Yeah, we are. We are losing. I mean, we, not much progress has been made in the research of cancer treatments in the last 40 years. Um, I, I, to me, it seems like we're kind of in the dark ages, the Middle Ages, <laughs> when it, when, it, when you look at the advancements that have been made, Richard. In other areas of medicine, um, for instance, with, you know, surgeries that people can now have uh, eyes replaced and heart replacements and limbs working again that have been uh, severed, Um, we've really made miraculous strides in many areas of medicine. But we have not made miraculous strides in the area of cancer treatment. We are still using the same treatments, basically the same three treatments that we've been using for half a century and more people today are dying from cancer than ever before. So I, I would say we're not winning the war against cancer. Uh,
0: it's, now, I, I remember reading about a guy named Otto, it was Otto Warburg, who back in the 1930s, I think he won like a Nobel Prize uh, when he, he came out and he said, this is the cause of cancer, and, and he seemed to get a lot of recognition uh, for that. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I mean, we don't read about Warburg in, in the textbooks. Uh, you know, there are no statues erected to this guy. You know, he's identified the cause for cancer. Um, well, let me ask you: What do you what, was Warburg onto something? Uh, what do you think the cause of cancer is?
1: He was. He was onto something. Um, he, he was. He was uh, partially correct. Um, not. Not. He was not incorrect. He just didn't have the whole picture at that time. But Warburg's thesis for the I think it was 1932 Nobel Prize was that cancer is largely caused by hypoxia, which is lack of oxygen at the cellular level, um, <laughs> as well as um, uh, the, the, the respiratory mechanism of the cancer cells switching to being that of anaerobic, which is without oxygen. In other words, cancer cells produce energy by fermenting sugar in an hypoxic environment. And that, that was the gist of his thesis, if I have it correct. now He was correct. That, that, that is true. Cancer cells... Ferment sugar. That is the way that they produce energy. That's why it's so damaging for an oncologist to be treating a, a cancer patient and to, to tell them that what they eat does not matter. To tell them that the diet doesn't matter. Eat whatever you want to put on the weight because you know you're you're in the cachexia cycle. Your body is wasting away. So eat whatever calories you want. The the, the quality of the calories don't matter. That's why that to me that's so damaging. Such damaging advice because. If you're eating refined sugars, ice cream, cakes, donuts, candies, the things that many oncologists will you know, um, advise a cancer patient to take that is wasting away, you're actually feeding the cancer cells. You're giving them the fuel that they need to thrive and to spread. And so um, that was part of, of Warburg's thesis. Um, there are many causes for cancer. I mean, to me, from the research that I've done over the last 15 to 20 years, I see a huge increase in environmental toxicity over the last century. As cancer rates have risen, so have the toxins that our body is exposed to. And these toxins can create uh, hypoxic-type environments, low oxygen in the cells. They can create uh, compromised immune function, which can lead to cancer spreading. If you have a an immune system that's working properly, you will not be diagnosed with cancer because we all produce cancer cells every day. The immune, the immune system is functioning properly we're not going to face a life-threatening cancer diagnosis. But if our immune system is compromised, if we are exposed to these toxins, which is, they're ubiquitous today, Richard. They're in the air, they're in the water, they're in the food that we eat. We are constantly exposed to toxins. That's a big piece of the puzzle. And that's even admitted on the American Cancer Society website. Um, If you go there, there's a it's a PDF file called Cancer Facts and Figures, And they they state, I think, in in the document, upwards of 85% of cancers are a result of environmental toxicity. So it's not really anything that's even debated by mainstream anymore. Toxins in our environment are causing cancer.
0: All right. We'll uh, come back and continue our conversation with Ty Bollinger, health freedom advocate, medical researcher, documentary film producer, talk radio host, And best-selling author of Cancer, Step Outside the Box, A Guide to Understanding Herbal Medicines and Surviving the Coming Pharmaceutical Monopoly. Back with more. Don't go away.
1: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett.
0: Ty Bollinger is with us. And uh, the website, thetruthaboutcancer.com. We've linked up to that on uh, strangeplanet.ca. Just click on Ty's name when you go to the radio page for The Conspiracy Show. Click on Ty Bollinger's name, and that'll take you right to the truthaboutcancer.com Does our inability to get an upper hand on cancer, does it stem from a misunderstanding of cellular chemistry?
1: You know, that's a good question, Richard. I, I really don't know what it stems from. Um, I, I know part of what it stems from, and part of what it stems from is the fact that We're not getting a a better understanding of cancer because much of the the powers that be, I guess if you want to say it, the the people that are making money or living off of cancer don't really want to find the answer to cancer. Now, I'm not indicting everyone that's involved as a doctor or a nurse or that's involved in cancer research at all. I think they're good people. I think that they're being miseducated because I think there is so much money to be made in cancer that there are – look – there we go back to 1953. The United States Senate, in the Fitzgerald report of 1953, they concluded that there was an active conspiracy in the United States to suppress natural cancer treatments that worked by the American Medical Association. Um, so th- this is not you know, I heard you talking last hour about conspiracy theories. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is conspiracy fact, according to the United States Senate in 1953. That the AMA does not want any natural treatments for cancer to be known. And so if, if they're, if they're purposely suppressing treatments that have very good track records, why is the question that we have to ask? If the real goal is to cure cancer, why are treatments that work being suppressed? And the only answer is there's a lot of people that are making a living off of cancer. And, and again, it's not an indictment of the doctors and the oncologists that have been miseducated. All the way back to 1910, we can go to the, the Flexner Report. This is the reason that they've been miseducated because the medical school curriculum in the United States was co-opted by big business by the Rockefellers and the Carnegies. That's why they're miseducated. That's why drugs are pushed so heavily today in medical schools. But the reality is there's a lot of money to be made in perpetuating a disease as opposed to curing it.
0: Talk to me about uh, the statistics uh, regarding the the efficacy of chemotherapy
1: well it, you know it, it really depends upon the, the kind of cancers uh, you mentioned earlier that there are some cancers that chemo works pretty well on and, and radiation works pretty well on I mean if you look at uh, testicular cancer Lance Armstrong is a poster boy for for this type of cancer and he, he healed his cancer using traditional treatments or uh, you know, such as chemo and radiation. I, I say traditional treatments, but uh, they're not really traditional. They're, they're less than 100 years old. That's really not the definition of traditional. Traditional treatments are naturopathy and herbs and medicine that have been used for millennia. That's really what traditional treatments are. But we, they, they've co-opted the language. I remember you, you, were, you were talking about they've co-opted the language, and they, they control the argument with co-opting the language and make and redefining words well they redefine that this is not alternative medicine this is, that, that I am an advocate of this is traditional medicine that's an excellent Earth,
0: point an excellent point right
1: so thank thanks but in, anyway so you know there are some non non lymphoma works chemo will work well on sometimes so there are a few select cancers that the, the these type of treatments work but as a general rule they don't work very well now if, if you're looking at, at, at an amalgamation of studies there was one that was done in in um, Northern Sydney, Australia, at the Northern Sydney Cancer Centre, they looked at 22 different types of cancer, and they wanted to determine the contribution of chemotherapy to a five-year survival rate, because that's how we typically measure cancer success—you live five years. They found that chemo, when it comes to five-year survival, looks at a 2.1 efficacy, 2.1 percent in Australia, 2.3 percent in the United States. That's not very good, Richard. It's not—it's not very effective. Um, there, there are isolated... That's an
0: understatement. Symptoms. That's an understatement. My yeah, Lord. you might
1: as well do nothing. You literally might as well just do nothing. Um, because the, the side effects of chemotherapy are atrocious. I mean, you, everyone knows someone that's done chemo and has lost their hair, has just vomited consistently for, during the whole chemo cycles, that feels like death has warmed over, and many times dies after the chemo. Um, it's it's a miserable last days. Um, so I tell you what, if you, if you compare that with doing nothing, you, you're probably going to live longer if you do nothing in many instances. Now, of course, I, I appreciate your disclaimer at the first of the, of the program. I'm not a doctor. I'm not recommending anything. I'm just r- relaying the research that I've done, relaying the families that I've talked to. Look, I was on coast to coast about four years ago and, uh, George, George Nori loves to talk about. Alternative treatments for cancer. So we were having a good old talk, and I was talking about the uh, the expense of some of these experimental chemotherapy drugs. Some of them at that time I mentioned on the air were $50,000 per shot, 50000 for one chemo injection. A man called up on, on the show and he said, Ty, you were a little bit off. My mother w- went in for a, a visit with her general practitioner just a few weeks ago. She was had no symptoms. It was just an annual exam. He found cancer. He said, it's it's terminal, you've got to work, you know, you've got to get on your chemo immediately, which is the fear that they do instill in people. You've got to treat it immediately, even though she had no symptoms. It was $70,000, Richard, for oh, one my. treatment. She died oh, in 14 days as a result of the treatment, not the cancer. So, look, it's a big racket. Uh, I'm sorry if that offends people, but that's the reality of it. It's, it's a racket and it 's not healing people it 's really it 's killing more people than it 's healing people well
0: here's here 's a, here's a uh, this is kind of a general statement about pharmaceuticals and and obviously you know drugs do save lives and there are some wonderful um, amazing drugs out there for yep. for all a whole host of ailments but here 's the big elephant in the room that nobody talks about, and to me it 's scandalous and that is when you have doctors who are being taken on all expense-paid trips around the world to lecture and talk about certain drugs, all right? Mm-hmm. They are taking money to talk about drugs and to to, to advocate to their patients that they take certain drugs that is a monumental conflict of interest when you have these so-called you know peer-reviewed journals the Lancet the New England Journal of Medicine and you flip through the pages and who are the advertisers pharmaceuticals what is wrong with this picture Ty?
1: yeah yeah you know you're right Richard there there are uh, there's definitely a place for drugs and Mm -hmm. drugs have saved lives there's no doubt about it but the reality is many of the drugs that are being prescribed are actually taking lives and that's not my opinion that's that's fact on the fda's own website they admit that 100,000 people in the united states alone die from properly prescribed prescription drugs richard that's that's not drugs that are that are over the, that are that are uh, illegal black market drugs these are drugs that are prescribed by a prescription by a physician for a certain ailment properly and the people still die. That's 100,000 deaths a year that are dying from properly prescribed prescription drugs. Can you imagine, Richard, if someone that was selling um, vitamin C and 100,000 people were dying a year from taking this vitamin C? I mean, can you imagine just one person? How, how quick would it be before vitamin C was no longer available?
0: Exactly. These, and, these, and these wrongful death suits are settled out of court, and it's basically the cost of doing business.
1: It is. It's the cost of doing business. And here's something else that you mentioned. I'm glad you brought this up. You, you mentioned these uh, the medical journals <coughs> and these doctors that are being, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, bought off by the drug companies. Look, when you people don't understand about ghostwriters. This happens all the time with pharmaceutical companies. So let's say big pharma company A wants to get a, uh, an article published about uh, naproxen. I'm just making up a name. This is a new drug, naproxen. So they write the study up. They write the article up. They have someone, a ghostwriter, on their staff of this big pharma company that is taking this drug to market, and they tout the all of the great things about naproxa. Well, what they do then is they shop medical doctors that want to be published that have never written articles, and they say, hey, would you like your name to be on this article? Well, it's already written. You just sign off on it, and you'll be published in a major medical journal. And the doctor signs off on it. And the pharmaceutical company that's actually selling the drug is the one that wrote the article. It's just signed by a medical doctor, but it was ghostwritten by someone on the staff of the pharmaceutical company trying to tell us how great this drug is. And then it gets published, and it gets quoted, and it gets repeated over and over in these medical journals, and the reality is that the drug company wrote it themselves. This happens all the time in big pharma.
0: That You're telling me for real, that happens?
1: It happens all the time, oh my those written articles are are par for the course
0: uh, still w- when we 're talking about uh, these peer reviewed journals, uh, a yep. peer review is important and, and and often the criticism about a lot of these alternative therapies is this: okay, so you think you've got something all right, subject it to peer review, show me the double blind study uh, and and then maybe you know we'll we'll, we'll seriously look into it, but sure. so how do you respond to that?
1: Well, uh, there have been many of these treatments that have been peer-reviewed, and they have had the, these these studies. For instance, there was um, back in uh, the 80s, there was a, actually a dentist in Texas. His name was William Donald Kelly. He had cured his own pancreatic cancer using en- <laughs> excuse me enzyme therapy. He had, he had used taken high doses of proteolytic or protein digesting enzymes. Now the I'm trying to think of the, it was, I think it was Sloan Kittering out of New York, uh, sent down a group of doctors, or it may have been Columbia University, but they sent down a group of doctors to discredit Dr. Kelly. He had over 30,000 patients, and they went through over 10,000 of his records in in, in an attempt to discredit him, and in in the end, they found that his treatment was legitimate, and he had a 93% cure rate when it came to five years. Now, his, these studies were then Subjected to peer review, these patients were contacted, and this this is one of those treatments that they don't want you to know about because it stood up to peer review. Now it wasn't they didn't do any double blind placebo testing on it, but it was peer reviewed and it was found to be legitimate. Now that was the same treatment. If you're familiar with Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who unfortunately passed away last year from New York City, that was the treatment that Nicholas Gonzalez uh, took to the next level and was using to treat advanced cases of cancer, even Cancers like pancreatic cancer. He had one patient that I was able to interview that it was 35 years out from a, can- a pancreatic cancer. That's a death
0: cancer. sentence normally. That's or a death, death sentence. Yeah. Every,
1: everyone that's diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that does chemo, radiation, or surgery is going to be dead within a year. To 18 months most. This lady was 35 years out and completely healthy. Um, there's something to this. And that's, that's not the only one. There, there have been other studies. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the Fitzgerald report of 1953, which I mentioned, that was in response to the use of laetrile, which is vitamin B17 or amygdalin. It comes from apples seeds and, and apricot seeds. And this was this this was some studies that were done at Sloan Kettering. Uh, later, well, actually no, let's see. I'm trying to get my facts straight. The Fitzgerald report of 53 was not in response to Sloan Kettering studies. It was in response to studies that had been done at another oncological center, Sloan Kettering, studied Laetrile about 20 years later. But the reality is what happened is this Fitzgerald report determined that there was an active suppression of cancer treatments in the United States specifically about laatrol, because they had done studies, and it was out in California that they did the studies, and they found that it was effective, and they falsified their studies. And what happens, Richard, I don't know if you're aware of this either, and the listeners may not be either, is that when these studies are done... There's a study, and then there's a cliff note of the study, right? You Remember back in high school? Sure, Cole's Notes, you we called the them. You just, you just got cliff notes, right? Exactly. You read the cliff notes to act like you read the book. Well, the, the same thing happens with these studies. And what happens is that the doctors will read the cliff notes of the study as opposed to reading the entire study. But the problem that we find now is that a lot of times the cliff notes are exactly the opposite of what the study says. And so doctors are reading cliff notes, and they're learning – exactly opposite of what the truth is because they didn't bother to read the study. They read the Cliff Notes, but the authors of the study falsified the Cliff Notes. Now, they're not cl- called Cliff Notes. They're just the summary studies. But that happens, and that happened in the California Report of 1953, which which was then referenced in the Fitzgerald Report of 1953, and they found that the studies were actually being done, but then the results were being falsified. I could go on and on. The reality is these many of these treatments have been studied, the, the problem is that we're being lied to about what the study said.
0: Uh, Ty Bollinger is with us, and uh, the website, thetruthaboutcancer.com. Uh, on the website, you've got 10 tips for preventing cancer in young adults, and uh, maybe we can walk through some of those. We're coming up on a break, but we'll start the conversation now and continue after. Some of the tips for preventing cancer in young adults.
1: Well, number one, I guess, would be for anyone, you've got to be able to get enough uh, vitamin D. Okay, so that's one thing that many people don't realize is that you're going to be told, don't get out in the sun. Okay, but you got to get out in the sun because that vitamin D mixes with cholesterol in your skin. To, um, I'm sorry, the ultraviolet light in the sun mixes with cholesterol in your skin to produce vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 has been studied, and there was, (laughs) I think it was a Creighton University study from 2009, showed that 77% of cancers can be avoided. With, with proper uh, dosage of vitamin D, which you can get just from natural sunlight. So that's one good recommendation for the youth, right? Because youth don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of uh, supplement cash, right, sitting around. Well, you don't have to have any supplement cash sitting around. Go out and get some sunlight. We're told to be afraid of the sun, and if we do go out in the sun, put on what, Richard? Sunscreen. The problem with sunscreen is it contains cancer-causing chemicals. Oh my! Many of the sunscreens can't contain that, so that's a good that's a good tip for anyone. I mean, a lot of the youth today are are being uh, influenced by their peers to smoke. If you smoke, just stop, because smoking increases your risk of many types of cancers. But the reality is, it's not. (laughs) This is what's. It's kind of bizarre. It's not funny, but it's just weird. People think tobacco causes cancer, and it doesn't. It's not the tobacco. It's the chemicals That's right. that are put on the tobacco when it's processed that cause the cancer. Because... Okay.
0: We're going to head into a break, a break here, Todd. <laughs> uh, as we do, I just I, I, I lit on something when you mentioned uh, vitamin D, and I read this recently about you know, nocturnal animals. Uh, for example, the flying squirrel, which is found in the southern part of the United States, otherwise yep. known as the sugar glider. The, in captivity, they live much, much longer because then they're out in the daylight. But nocturnal animals do not live very long, and and perhaps it has something to do with a lack of vitamin D. That's interesting. All right, we'll come back and continue to talk about the truth about cancer. Ty Bollinger, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Ty Bollinger stays with us. thetruthaboutcancer.com, dot com, the website. As you travel the world, what's the common denominator in terms of populations that you've studied that have very low cancer rates? What's the common denominator? Is it diet?
1: You know, it is. But there's unfortunately there's not many of them that have low cancer rates anymore, and the reason is diet. Um, you know, you look at <laughs> you look at civilizations that have been relatively unaffected by cancer such as the Hunza Indians in northern Pakistan, very, very low rates of cancer, until they relocate and they start eating the typical North American diet and they get cancer. So, yeah, that's a very common denominator. But the people that are healing cancer naturally, one of the things, the common denominators that I've found with them is that they radically changed their diet, and as a result, they got rid of the cancer. One such person is Chris Wark, um, ChrisBeatCancer.com. And this guy was, 10 years ago was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer, at the age of 26, I think. The only thing he did to treat it was he went to a completely raw diet and made super salads every day with, you know, all the cruciferous vegetables and organic everything. Just every vegetable you can think of. He threw into a salad and that's what he ate for six months and he went back to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, I don't know what happened, but your cancer is gone.
0: Is there a point where it's too late? Or, I mean, if it's stage four, for example, can you still turn it around with that kind of a diet?
1: Absolutely. That's A lot of times diet, and I'm not saying that that's what most people do. Most people, have they'll drastically change their diet, but then they'll go into a treatment protocol as well. But absolutely, that's very, very common for stage four to be reversed through changing diet and going to a treatment protocol. I just received an email a couple days ago from a lady that was in October this last year when we initially aired the Truth About Cancer of Global Quest. She was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer oncologist said nothing we can do, chemo radiation won't work, go get your will in order, you're going to die. You're dead in a month. And she just refused to believe that, and she radically changed her diet and implemented two or three different treatment protocols, and she just emailed me two days ago, and she said, you know, the, just got my cancer marker test, and there's no cancer in my body at this point. So I, I see that all the time. You know, I mean, People might hear that and say, well, that's just anecdotal, and, you know, well, whatever. It, it may be it's anecdotal, but she's alive. She's not dead, and the oncologist said she'd be dead in a month. So something must have worked.
0: And that was a raw food diet?
1: She went to a raw food diet, and she also implemented a couple of treatment protocols. And one of them, if I I remember correctly, was using hemp oil, cannabis oil, which is very, very effective cancer treatment.
0: I was going to ask you about that because, you know, there was a time about 100 years ago, less than 100 years ago, when every doctor in his little black bag had a a vial of cannabis oil. I mean, it was seen at that time as kind of a cure-all. What happened?
1: Yeah, that's one of the uh, conspiracies that I talk about. That's actually a reality, and that is the hemp conspiracy. I mean, you're right. Back in, uh, until the late 1930s in the United States, hemp was used as a medicine to treat cancer and epilepsy and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and uh, many different diseases that we look at today. It's really uh, there's no we have no cure for, her, but hemp was used there. It's interesting in the United States. We our founding fathers all grew hemp. The Declaration of Independence was drafted on hemp paper. The Constitution was on hemp paper. Model the first Model T by Henry Ford was built with hemp fiber and it ran on hemp fuel. I mean, hemp is a very, very versatile plant. But regarding the treatment of cancer, it's very, very effective. So, you know, that's one of the things that I know that she did. And as you mentioned, until the, the 30s, it was used everywhere. It was in, available in pharmacies. I think you could buy it over the counter. But then along came William Randolph Hearst in the in the 1930s. He owned Hearst Paper Manufacturing Division of Kimberly-Clark, and he also supplied most paper products for newspapers across the United States. And so he stood to lose billions because of hemp, because hemp's a much more efficient method of producing paper. You can produce the same amount of paper from one acre of hemp as you can from 10 acres of trees. Then you couple that with the fact that I think it was in 1937 DuPont patented the process of making plastics from oil and coal. And so synthetics like plastics and cellophane and celluloid and nylon and rayon, and all these could be made from oil. And so that was another thing that hemp could be used for, that if hemp became industrialized, it would have ruined over 80% of DuPont's business. So Andrew Mellon became, I think it was Hoover's, secretary of the treasury, and DuPont's primary investor, he appointed... Harry Anslinger, who I think became his nephew in the future, his nephew-in-law, um, to head the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Hemp was declared to be dangerous since it was a threat to their billion-dollar enterprises. And this is this is just the paper industry and the plastic industry. This is before hemp became a threat to the big pharmaceutical industry. But it, the reality is, it was a it was a threat to big pharma. They the DEA put this word that had never been used before in the United States out there. It was called Marijuana. No one ever knew what marijuana was before that, Richard. Marijuana was never used in the United States. So the propaganda campaign was on. They put out movies like Reefer Madness and they made marijuana illegal. And what's interesting is that at that point when it was becoming legal, Dr. James Woodward, who who was a physician and an attorney, and he was one of the head of the AMA at that time, he testified before Congress that the reason that the AMA had not denounced the, the marijuana tax law and had, had not denounced the fact that marijuana had become illegal was that they did not know marijuana was the same thing as him.
0: Okay, listen, he, i got to jump in here, Ty, because we're yeah. going into a break. We'll pick up on that okay. point when we come back. The Truth About Cancer with Ty Bollinger, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Ty Bollinger is with us, health freedom advocate, medical researcher, documentary film producer, talk radio host. All right, I notice on the website, thetruthaboutcancer.com, you have a, I think there's a video there about Dr. Stanislaw Brzezinski, who, again, has uh, seemed to made, have made some significant, or had significant success uh, with treating cancer using his methods. Can you tell us a little about what about Stanislav Brzezinski's methods?
1: Yeah, Dr. Brzezinski uses a treatment protocol which he has co- coined uh, anti neoplastons and so this is I guess the best way to think of it is kind of a missing link between proteins and amino acids and he's found that the people that have cancer have a deficiency of these anti neoplastons So he He has learned how to synthesize them and inject them into patients and had very, very good success, especially with brain cancer patients. And um, as a result of this, Dr. Brzezinski has been heavily persecuted over the last 30 years by not only the Texas Medical Board but also by the FDA. Um, There's, you know, one of the worst things that you can do, in the United States is to cure cancer outside of the medical box that you're allowed to. If you use anything other, other than chemo, radiation, surgery, you will be attacked and persecuted, and Dr. Brzezinski has been. Um, I bu- I've become really good friends with Dr. Brzezinski over the last couple of years, and the man just has a huge heart. He loves cancer patients. He loves people, really wants to help them, and he's helped so many people overcome what was told they were, that was terminal cancer. He's got what he calls the wall of pictures in his office, and these are pictures of babies that were brought to him with brain cancer. And then he, he's followed them through their formative years and all the way to where they're 18, 20, 25 years old, and married, engaged, and now with kids and follows their kids now. So it's really it's really neat to see that's what it's all about to him is just helping people. And, you know, fortunately, the way that the FDA um, has structured things here in the United States is that with his treatment, patients are not allowed to do his treatment outside of those that have been approved for his, his, his clinical trials. Um, and I think he's in phase three right now, but the people that are not approved are not allowed to do the treatments unless they've exhausted the chemo, radiation, and surgery. And unfortunately for many people, that actually taxes their body so much that I mean, chemo is poisoning. Many chemos cause cancer, and oncologists know this. Radiation causes cancer. Oncologists know this. And for a person that has a sick body, oftentimes going through these treatments actually... Do much more harm than good and can't actually kill them. And unfortunately, that happened. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Brzezinski movie, Cut, Poison, and Burn.
0: Right. So, in other words, the, by the time the people get to him, they've gone through the traditional, well, the so called traditional uh, methods, chemo, radiation, surgery. By the time they get to him, it's almost too late. And so, this is going to I- impact, obviously, his success rates. And then the, the AMA or whomever will say, see, look, it doesn't work.
1: Sure they will i mean the the natural practitioner always gets the blame, even if the real blame should go on the treatment that destroyed the person's body, which is oftentimes chemo and radiation. They will go to a natural practitioner as a last resort after the chemo has already destroyed their body. I mean there was a study that was published out on National Institutes of Health. I think it was pubMed, and i can't remember where it was performed, but it was within the last couple of years, and they showed that chemotherapy actually causes it actually creates cancer stem cells and enriches them. It enriches cancer stem cells, and those are the boogers that we want to get rid of because those are the cells that produce the daughter cells that will then spread and make the tumor grow and spread throughout the body. The stem cells are the real problem, and the study within the last couple years shows that chemotherapy actually enriches the stem cells. It makes the cancer worse. And that's what we're seeing, Richard. We're seeing. I'm seeing this, and I know oncologists are seeing this. They may not admit to seeing this, or they may be turning a blind eye. But everyone that goes through chemotherapy, not everyone, I can't say that. A large percentage of people that go through chemotherapy will be told that they're in remission, but then within the next couple of years, the cancer's back, and it's spread, and they wonder why, because they, they, the oncologist said that they were in remission. Well, the reason that, that it spread is that the chemotherapy temporarily kill the tumor cells, it killed the daughter cells, but it enriched the stem cells, the mother stem cells. And that's why the, the cancer usually comes back, and it's worse when it comes back. It's metastasized, it's in other organs, and oftentimes at that point they're told it's terminal, there's nothing they can do. Why? Because the chemo caused it. And have, oncologists know this, and so it's just really a sad situation that we're in, that we're using treatments that actually cause the disease that they're supposedly treating.
0: A couple of weeks ago I interviewed a, a Dr. Jimmy Gutman, who is a, who was an emergency room, um, a physician, highly regarded, uh, out of Montreal, and, uh, and he's talking about these days, about this, he calls it the, the, the master ox, antioxidant, uh, and an immune booster, and it's a natural occurring molecule in the body called glutathione. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you know about glutathione and what, what, what do you think about it in terms of boosting it in order to fight cancer?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it, it's, I, I've written about glutathione in my book. we mentioned glutathione um, in our documentary and it, it is an important antioxidant in, in both plants, animals, even, even fungi. Um, and it prevents damage to uh, the cells and it is referred to as the master antioxidant and there have been lots of studies that have shown that if we can increase levels of glutathione in the body that that results in lower levels of cancer and I, I wouldn't call glutathione a treatment for cancer but it's certainly something that we should be aware of that we need to get enough glutathione in our diets in order to have a diet that's tie in antioxidants. This is the master antioxidant and despite what you'll hear from many oncologists that say that if you're undergoing chemo you should not take antioxidants because they'll they'll affect the the efficacy of the chemo. That's actually exactly opposite of what the studies have shown, that that's not true. If you're doing chemo, antioxidants are a very good idea. So I think that's just an important building block of our diets is to make sure that we get enough glutathione.
0: I believe in God, and it seems like he created us that if we take care of ourselves properly and eat the right foods, that we're designed really to cure these diseases ourselves, that we don't need these kind of interventions. If the body is running along like this magnificent machine that it is, we can fight off all of these diseases.
1: Well, you know what? I agree with you completely, Richard. It's the body that does the healing. So... In, in essence, you know, when we say we're going to find a cure for cancer, the reality is there are no cures for cancer. The reality is, in my opinion, what we have are certain substances like pancreatic enzymes or like laotril or like uh, even oxygen. Certain Certain substances provide the body with what it needs so that it runs the way that it was intended to run. And if the body runs the way that it was intended to run then cancer doesn't get a foothold so it's really the body that does the cure and you're absolutely right we give it the proper fuel it runs properly and that's why when doctors say they'll tell a patient that their their diet has no effect on their health it is so absurd because everyone knows that if you if you want your you've got a race car and you want to run at maximum efficiency you're not going to put kool-aid in the gas tank you're going to put the proper fuel so that it runs but Why does that not spill over into the advice that a doctor would give us about the fuel for our body? Shouldn't we optimize the fuel? Shouldn't we give our bodies the fuel that they need so that they run properly? Of course we should. I mean, anyone knows that. But So why do we get no advice from our physicians about the nutrition that we need to put in our body so that the body runs properly, and it's the body then will heal the disease?
0: Well, maybe the answer to that is because in seven years of medical school, I think they're only required to take one course in nutrition.
1: Bingo. Bingo. And that's exactly accurate, Richard. They are not educated on nutrition. And the reason they're not educated on nutrition goes all the way back to what I mentioned earlier, the Flexner Report of 1910, when the medical school curriculum was co-opted by some business guys that wanted to push drugs. And they wanted to have a captive market to push their drugs, and that was the medical schools. And so that's why... In 1913, the American Medical Association actually developed an internal department, which they called the Propaganda Department, and their whole function was to malign and slander naturopaths and herbalists and chiropractors and call them quacks, and they were very successful. And so that's why today we see somebody that has a a natural medicine degree or a chiropractor or an herbalist, and the first thing you think of, man, those are quacks. They're not real medical doctors. Why? Why? Because of the Flexner Report of 1910, because of the propaganda department of the AMA in 1913, they were very successful at co-opting the education and introducing the term quack into the American vernacular.
0: I, um, I recently uh, narrated an audio book uh, about the Flexner Report. That should be coming out soon, and I'll give more details when that, when that happens. But uh, uh, tell me a little bit. We just got a couple minutes here, or less than uh, maybe a minute and a half. Uh, the Truth About Cancer, A Global Quest, this came out... Uh, very recently this documentary and are people going to see that at the total health show or parts of it
1: well yeah we are friday night this friday night i can't believe it's already here we will look at we will watch episode one saturday night we will watch episode two at the end of the day and then uh april 12th which is the following tuesday that's when we go live uh, the encore presentation so it's a nine-part documentary miniseries you can watch one part Every night for nine nights, it will stream it for 24 hours. So you can watch it any time in that 24 hour period. Then at eight o- or nine o'clock Eastern the next night, we'll go to the next episode. And so it will stream for nine days. And you can just go to the truthaboutcancer.com to, to sign up. And I think you've got a banner there on your website. They can click through to sign up, watch it for free.
0: There you go. And again, that's the Total Health Show. And people can get tickets at thetotalhealthshow.com, April 8th, 9th, and 10th Metro Toronto Convention Center. And, uh, uh Ty, really a real pleasure having you on the program, and I'd um, um, uh, like to have you on again sometime soon.
1: I'd love it, Richard. Thanks for all you're doing. I love your show, man.
0: I appreciate it. Ty Bollinger, and again, that documentary, The Truth About Cancer, A Global Quest, and uh, that's the Total Health Show, coming up very soon. All right. Wow. Uh, quite a program that was a good one I think I don't mind telling you I'm kind of proud of this one Uh, and uh, Albert of course proud of him too for uh, putting this all together Albert Venzel, my story producer and uh, Ian Robertson our erstwhile rockabilly fan or or, or rockabilly performer I should say and um, he's uh, of course responsible for flying this ship uh, twisting the knobs and dials and uh, all of you for listening I thank you From the bottom of my heart, we will be back next week with a brand new program. Patria Patrick will be with us to talk about her new documentary film, On the Titanic. That anniversary is up and coming. Rosemary Ellen Giley, our paranormal investigator, will be along as well with her monthly report. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Get